Well, if you got in here and you did not get sermon notes, uh, if you would slip up your hand, these are going to be important to walk through, and you're really going to need these scriptures to go uh, in your own devotion time. So if you slip up your hand, Michael, uh, get you one, and, uh, and we'll just jump right into it. Now, we, we've said uh, a few months back that we're, we're a Bible-believing church, but we want to turn into also a Bible-carrying church. So how'd you do this morning? Uh, launching into a new series with, with your Bible. I won't make you stand or hold them up. Or, um, but uh, during this series, it's going to be important to you to bring your Bible along with you. Engage, open it up, read, tablet, however you, however you get the Word of God and work through that. Um, do that, and, uh, and you're going you're to find value in it, trust me. Ecclesiastes, that's where we're at for six weeks. So if you wonder what book in the Bible we're in, well, where we're at, we're in Ecclesiastes, all six weeks long. And I told you last week that we actually have a couple small groups that are walking through this. So if you're not in a small group yet, uh, we would love to plug you into one. If you say, that is so intriguing, the book of Ecclesiastes, that's right where I'm at in life, and um, then we want to encourage you to sign up for one of the Ecclesiastes groups and work through that. They're actually going to go 12 weeks through lessons. We're going to walk through it for six weeks. So there's lots to dive into in the book of Ecclesiastes. We have other small groups that are going through the discipleship material that we just finished. You can sign up for one of those. And then we have a couple other groups that are, that are kind of doing different curriculum as well. So if you're interested in any of those... Our goal is for everyone to be in a small group. Just see the table afterwards and you can get plugged into one of those. Y'all got your sermon notes now? Okay, uh, we're going to take a look at this. On a scale of 1 to 10, uh, you don't have to tell anyone, you don't have to stand up or anything like that, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your job? I mean, you, you got a number right, uh, right away. Um, how satisfied are you like with your job, your employment? How satisfied are you with your income? One to ten. Just think of the number one to ten. How satisfied are you with your marriage? Don't even blink. How satisfied are you with your singleness? I mean, how satisfied are you, are you with your home or with your car? How satisfied are you with your pastor? Watch it. On a scale of one to ten, uh, how satisfied are you with the overall circumstances and the situation of your life? You got a number? One to ten. Now, uh, this is a big question. It, it actually leads to a bigger question, though, I think. How satisfied should I be with my life? How satisfied should I be? Are my expe- expectations, like, too high, or are they too low? Do I need to, like, ramp this thing up and look for more in life, or... Am I expecting, like, paradise on this side of heaven, and I better just, like, dial it down and, and quit having false expectations? What really should be my expectations in that question? So for the next five weeks, we're going to just basically look at this question regarding the meaning of life and how satisfied we are. And even more importantly, where is it we look for and we strive to find that satisfaction? Now, all of you, I, I think, I know you well enough, many of you I'm looking at, that I know you've got like some Christian background, some testimony to share. And so it, the knee jerk for each of us is going to give a very good spiritual Christian Bible answer when we're asked the question, where do we seek for the meaning of life or satisfaction in our life? But I want to challenge you in this series to make sure you're engaging in God's Word And what you're really asking is, honestly, where have I been seeking that? And what has the outcome been? 
So you've got to be honest in your own evaluation and walk through that. We're going to walk through, and my job for the next six weeks is now walk you through the writings of the smartest guy. That's what the Bible said. The wisest guy on the planet, 5th century BC, this guy named Solomon. And we're going to walk through his words. And the words that he wrote um, are sometimes, um, they're sometimes irreverent. Um, Some of them might even offend you and and really push on you and challenge you a bit, but they're on the subject of satisfaction and on the meaning of life. Someone might even just shock you, and like I said, I think someone might even offend you. Now, the book of the Bible, it's found in the Old Testament that we're going to look at, so if you flip your Bible open to the middle, chances are you're going to go a little left, or you might even be about there. Um, Ecclesiastes is the name of the book. Now, it's, uh, it's 12 chapters long. We're going to go six weeks, so we're going to kind of be going at a little bit quicker pace than a chapter a week. But it is like this bare-fisted intellectual street fighting is what, is what we're going to find in Solomon. I mean, he is raw and blunt and direct with his words. And we sometimes, like when we're talking about this situation of satisfaction or I blew it in life or I was looking for this, we like to, to paint it with a very, you know, you know kind of rose-colored glasses type of approach. Um, but in the end, I learned some good things, you know, kind of thing. He's not going that direction. He's going to be blunt and direct, and he's going to tell us what has significant meaning in life and what doesn't even have a little bit of meaning ever. That's where he's going to walk through what will satisfy and what will end up feeling like, it's like his favorite phrase, the chasing after wind. So uh, I'm ready to dive in. So I hope you are. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to jump right into it if you got your Bible. Most of the, the, the scriptures I'm going to talk about are found on your sermon notes this morning so you can follow along. But lest in your head you're saying, oh, thank you, Tom. Now I don't have to bring my Bible every week. Um, that's not the case. We're encouraging you to get in the habit bringing God's Word and engaging in it yourself So let's just take a look at the beginning of this book. Right at the beginning, he says this. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, Solomon the writer. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. He's the teacher. Completely meaningless. Now, you might have exclamation points in your Bible. Um, that was put in by the, uh, the editor. Uh, Solomon would not have wrote those. They wouldn't have even been in their language to write exclamation point. But it's clear from the context that he is making a very strong, emphatic type of declaration. The reason we know this, in Hebrew writing, he repeats the same thing back to back in virtually the same sentence. Everything is meaningless completely meaningless. Now that gets us off to a real happy start, doesn't it, to this series? That makes us feel really good about, about life. Um, that's where he's going. This is the beginning of his book. And when he grabs the reader's attention here, these are the words that are grabbing. I mean, he goes to a party and he says, hey, everyone, you know, we have music and the dancing and, and whatever. I just want you to know, like, everything you're doing here, like, it's, like it's meaningless, it's absolutely meaningless. Have a great party. Have a good time. He walks into your business. Hey, I want you guys to all know here that are working in your cubicles nice and hard. This is all meaningless. Enjoy your day at work. Moves on. We're going to see this type of blunt, direct focus. The question, what is he getting at? 
Where is he going to take us with this type of, of talking and reasoning? He keeps going in that chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Skip to verse 4 if you've got your Bible. Take a look at this. He says this, Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. Do you know what he's even saying he's getting at at the very beginning is, look, your grass, your lawn will outlive you. It's of more value and significance in the way he's looking at things there. You're going to come, you're going to go. Another set of human beings is going to come, they're going to go. That tree will be there longer than, than any of them. He's putting us in our place at the very beginning of this book. This guy is, I mean, this is not popular, exciting thinking. This is not the guy you want to stand around and be with or to say, hey, would you give a good graduation speech this year at the local high school? This is not what you want to hear, but this is what he's giving us and he's getting at in the very beginning. Hey, people, if you think your life has so much meaning, and it's so filled with purpose. You know, we, you're living for 70 years, 80 years. You know, if, if, you're, uh, 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 if you're fortunate, you just keep on living past that. And he lets us know that the rivers and the valleys and the canyons and those type of things, they'll, they'll far outlive you. So if you want to measure it in years, you're about that, that big on the importance level. That's what he's getting at. Then what he wants to do in this first chapter is he's going to turn it inward. And he's going to say, okay, because of all these facts, because when I look and these things seem very meaningless in my life, because looking compared to to nature, it seems like, I mean, I'm just here a little while. I'm going to go on this journey and adventure to find meaning myself in life. And what we're going to find in the book of Ecclesiastes from here on out, all six chapters, I can't walk through, excuse me, 12 chapters, six weeks, he's going to walk you through where he sought after meaning and purpose and value in life. Can I tell you this morning, many of you are already telling the story that Solomon is going to tell in your own life. You've already told it. You've lived it. You're going to understand right away when he gets out of that. But some of you, you're going to be right in the middle of it, and you haven't even recognized right now that you're seeking after meaning and purpose and satisfaction in your life. And that's why he's going to kind of challenge us, open our eyes, and maybe even offend us a little bit. So let's find out. uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, we're going to jump into this, and we're just going to ask a question. Where, uh, where do we look for meaning in life? Where did Solomon look for the meaning in life? Here's the first thing that we find. Uh, he searched for meaning through knowledge. Uh, academia, if you want to call it that. Through, through learning, he searches for meaning. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Solomon writing says this, um, I, I got to find satisfaction, so I'm going to do it through higher learning. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore my, by wisdom everything being done under heaven. So he's searching this way. Verse 17, if you continue. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing wind. So he's telling us right away, I, I searched for it in academia. I, I went and I looked for it in the gaining of wisdom and understanding. Now some of you know exactly what we're talking about here. It's you know, the college degree and then the master's degree and the postmasters and, and this is push and push. And with every degree, there is this thought or hope that there will be some enlightened stage that you've reached or some place you've gained now 
where the flood of satisfaction and enjoyment of life will flow because something is, is put in a plaque and on the wall now next to the last one. And yet you've realized now when you look up there and you see three or four of those things, you've realized it, it never really came with that. It wasn't like a magic ticket to having fulfillment and satisfaction. I was pretty excited when I received it and it opened up the the door maybe of a new job or career or opportunity. But then that was kind of done and over with. It didn't bring this full meaning in life. And we keep searching and searching for that. For some of you, you're like, ah, I don't have any idea what you're, you're talking about, Tom, cause, or Solomon, because that's not been my approach. That's not what I've looked for. Um, that's okay. Hang on. We're going to get to some more things as well there. Now, I know some of you are sitting there, young people are sitting there go, see, mom, dad, I don't need to go to college. So, you know, are you listening to Pastor Tom this morning? I don't, I don't need. Not what we're saying this morning opens up great doors. But what we're saying is, even things like this that bring benefit and and are good for our life, if we put them in the place of saying, I will find ultimate joy and satisfaction and meaning in this. You know, for me, um, I had a goal when I started college, or when I was midway through college probably, of I wanted to get a doctorate degree. That's, that was my, my goal, and uh, n- nothing wrong with that. Um, and when I say doctorate, you know, obviously I'm not talking about operating on people. Uh, I'm talking about a doctorate probably in ministry, a uh, doctor of ministry. is, is called a D-min. And, uh, but as I got to the point where I finished seminary, I recognized for myself that there was a draw to this And really, if I was honest, it was to bring a level of satisfaction to my life. Now, some people get those for purpose and meaning, and I I don't want to put that on everybody. But I knew for myself that God was like, well, why, Tom? Why are you headed into this? Why do you want to de-men? You think you're going to get a bigger youth ministry job uh, with with your de-men there? Why are you after this? And I can understand from Solomon this desire, one more degree will bring me a little more prestige in the youth ministry world. I mean, how many youth ministers have a doctorate degree? So I would like to headline your, your conference today because I have a doctorate degree and that guy doesn't. I mean, really, that was really the cornerstone of my thinking, though I would have never verbalized that with anyone else. Solomon is saying, this is what I learned, verse 17. Pursuing this, it was just like chasing the wind. It never brought with it that satisfaction. Stay in school. Get your, get your uh, uh, degree, let it open up the opportunities, but understand that if this thing is elevated into that highest place, Solomon is saying, that never really brought the satisfaction that I was after. Ecclesiastes one eighteen, the greater my wisdom, he actually says, the greater my, my grief, the greater the void I saw in my life, the greater the wisdom in that, because I learned that the the wisdom could not fulfill that void. It basically didn't pay for what I thought it promised. To increase knowledge, he says, only increases sorrow. Now, danger there. Don't say, well, I'm never going to increase any knowledge because I don't want sorrow at all. Remember the place of significance that Solomon is putting each one of these things. Number one, the highest pursuit will bring the meaning and satisfaction. And he finds... That's not the case. He says, I tried. I tried real hard, and it didn't bring it. Second thing we find in Solomon, if we're looking, is right at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, well, forget this wisdom thing, then. Um, I'm going to seek after this in pleasure. Pleasure. 
Now that's what I'm going to go at. This, this like the tone brightens up considerably and, and he, he basically says, I'm going to go for some good old fashioned hedonism now. I mean, if I like it and it looks appealing, I am on it. I am after it. I'm going to seek pleasure now as my way to find that. And he says, um, basically, man, let's get it on. Let's, let's go. That's what he's excited about, and that's the next step he's moving towards. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Some of you are saying, Tom, that, that sounds like my college experience. You were, it wasn't that wisdom you were talking about. This sounds like my college life here. Seeking after pleasure. So we find here that in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he's going to launch into what he, what he did. He says this, After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Pretty straightforward. He's letting himself know, I, I'm just going after it. I'm finding the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the enjoyment and delight myself with wine. Does anyone know how much wine you have to drink to fulfill the inner needs of, of your life? Uh, anybody have an idea of what that volume might be? Uh, yeah, some of you, like, you walk down that road. You're like, well, Tom, I gave it a real good college try. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've got the answer. Um, there is not enough wine in the world to fulfill that inner need, that satisfaction. But some of you, you're like, I, I learned that the hard way. And he says, while still seeking wisdom, so I guess he didn't put that aside entirely. It's kind of like your college experience, a little bit of wisdom, a lot of, uh, a lot of the pleasure there is what he's saying here. I clutched at foolishness, is what he said. In this way, I tried to experience only happiness most people find during their brief life on this earth. You know what he's saying? I went all at pleasure. I looked for it in, in every way I could have it. I looked for it. Now, we usually, like, shun a person who would be so bold to say, I'm only about pleasure. I'm only looking at, at, at my self-enjoyment. We would probably still culturally call that person kind of selfish. It's probably headed for ruin. But we've allowed this type of mentality to sneak into our cultural thinking. If it feels good, do it. You need to do what's right for you. These are forms of saying if it lines up with me, and this seems like this is right, we won't use the word pleasure in these instances, if this is right and this is good for me, then I launch out and I do it. Solomon said, same type of thinking, same type of mentality. I just decided to take it to the nth degree and go as far as I could go with this, and so I just launched into pleasure. He says, I, I, I tried. I tried hard on this. And then he says, we find this, it's very interesting. He says, so after this, uh, this huge like, hangover, um, he turned like, not to booze, but the next thing is he turned to what he says, you know what I'm going to do? I, I, I'm going to just start to acquire things. I'm going to just acquire as much as I can acquire. And in the acquisition of things, material things and whatnot, um, probably I'll find what I'm looking for. I mean, I, I learned that it wasn't going to be found in my degrees, and it wasn't going to be found in just pure pleasure, so the acquisition of things. And so we find the search for meaning, the number three here, that he looks at, uh, we, we're going to call it materialism this morning. He just says, I'm going to go, I'm going to this way, it's, it, it must be in this. Now, can I just tell you before I read through this passage and just comment on it just a little bit, 
I strongly believe this is the one that hits us the hardest. It's very easy to look at somebody else and say, man, they're so materialistic. They're so drawn to things. But can I say, would you put that evaluation aside for the next few minutes? Just throw that in the trash for a minute and put only on your self-evaluation. Allow God to be speaking to your own heart and your own desire and drive and drive and drive for the accumulation of things, which Solomon is going to get us to the point it says, that doesn't really matter in the way of fulfilling or bringing satisfaction to our life. So here's what he says, starting in uh, chapter 2. We're going to go verse 4 if you've got your Bible. If not, keep your eyes glued here because, I mean, you you need to read exactly what he's saying here. Um, This is what he says, starting in in verse 4, chapter 2. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, big homes that I need to build. One home isn't going to do it. I need like plural number of homes, uh, more homes, right? I, I've got, I need my house. I've got to have my mountain house, and, you know, my, my lake cottage. I've got to have that. I mean, he just, he's going at it, right, and building these homes, huge number of homes that he builds. And then he says this, and by planting beautiful vineyards, in case he needed to try more wine, I, I don't know, but he, he, he wanted to launch these beautiful vineyards that he put out. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm picturing, like, if you've ever been to Asheville and you've seen the Biltmore and you've seen this grand, like, I'm picturing this from Solomon, and we get an understanding in his other writers, in his other writings, just how lavish some of his buildings were. So I built homes for myself. I planted great vineyards. And he says, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my flourishing groves. groves excuse me. I and then he says, I bought slaves, both male and female, and others were born into my household. You know what he's saying is, I created this huge, vast plantation-type setup. I mean, trees and groves and reservoirs and water irrigation, houses and all of this. And, I, and there's no way I'm going to keep it up myself. I, I, so I went and bought some slaves, too, and I, I put them in. And, and, uh, and others were born into my kingdom as well during this time. And so the population of workers for me was there as well. You can see this accumulation that he's having here. So he's got the staff to, to maintain all of these houses. Then he says this, uh, I also own more uh, large herds of, and flocks. More than any kings that lived in Israel before me. He's saying, look, there's no one who had as many flocks and herds as I did. Now, today in our America, in rural America, um, we don't sit here like in Greensboro if you work a desk job and stuff. And we don't think of how prestigious someone out there who has a bigger herd of cattle or whatnot than somebody else, what that really means. A couple of you guys think that way. It's part of your life. But for the most part, we don't even think that. Can I just tell you, for sure, in Solomon's day, if you wanted to measure somebody's prestige, if you want to register, if you wanted to kind of show people how lavish you were and how significant and important and how much money you had to throw around, you did that by the size of your herds. And so this was a very important line here. When he says, I collected it all. Notice up till now, he has not not compared himself to others Here, he wants you to know, the reader, I had more than anyone else. Where does that put me? The highest place of prestige in Jerusalem because of the size of my 
flocks and of my herds. Then he goes on and he says, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasury of many kings and provinces. So, and check out the next line. I, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. Now, most of us, you know, you, you save up a little money to go hear a concert, a band, you know. You go somewhere, ride to, ride to Raleigh, see a great concert, those type of things. Winter Jam comes around once a year, and you stand in line from 3 o'clock to whatever time to get in the door, and you see a concert. He just says, I'm just going to buy the whole band, and I'm just going to own it all. So at any point in time, I can have the music and the concert and the show, the whole symphony I'll just bring in is what he's saying here. Um, and I don't know quite what to make of this next line that he says, but, but he goes, I mean, he's going all after it here. Uh, we find he got himself a harem. It's what the Bible says here, verse 8. And he had many beautiful concubines as well. Now, um, I have one woman, and to seek to make her happy, um, you know, that, 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 takes, you know, that takes work for, for any man, in any, any woman, you know. Um, I mean, we love our wife. We want to care and uh, honor our, our wife. I don't know how you do it with a bunch. Um, but Solomon said, I, I'm going all at it. I'm just going to have a whole, a whole group of women in my life, a whole bunch of them. I'm going to somehow try to keep them all happy. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. And he finishes off by simply saying, I had everything a man could desire. Now, some of you, you've walked down the path to some of these, and you've learned the lesson of these, and so you would not say that last line. Solomon is wanting you to know anything that you could sit and desire materially. He could have it. He did have it. And he put himself in this high, high position of prestige. But then we get down to this this next set of verses. It starts in verse 10. He wants to remind us, I denied myself no pleasure. Anything I wanted, I got it. Do you know that we often convince ourselves that if you were to win the lottery, 10 million 20 million, 25 million. I don't know. We don't, we don't even play when it's that much, right? I mean, he's got to hit like 300 million. Then it becomes worth our while, right? Um, whatever the amount is, we convince ourselves to think that if I had that kind of money, well, then I could, you know, I could pay all my bills and I would manage that very well. I'd be incredibly generous. I mean, that building you're talking about, Tom, I mean, it would be built and it would look like Solomon's buildings. I mean, we would go at it, right? But the truth is money usually just makes us more of what we are. If we're in the desire to accumulate for ourselves, probably money's just going to help us accumulate more for ourselves. He is saying anything you could have dreamed of. Now, now picture yourself with all of the resources available to get it. And he's saying, that was my life. That's what I took. If you've ever saw, you'd thought, if we just had unlimited resources... If God were so to provide a certain way, like you walk out to your car and there was, I mean, literally a check for a million dollars, legit check, in your car, like it, it would all be done. And if I just had the resources, Solomon's saying, I had the resources. And so this is why this story of where he went with this should perk our ears to let us know when God does bless, when God does provide, when God gives the opportunity which way are we going to go in our seeking after this? Unlimited acquisition, unlimited pleasure, and I mean, unlimited, unashamed self-gratification is what he's told us already in this chapter and a half here. 
And then he says this, verse 11. He says, it, it didn't fill the void. But as I looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. What he's saying is, in the pursuit of these things, they became nothing. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I I have a little bit of a hard time believing Solomon. I'm like, you didn't get any value out of that degree, that that education, that knowledge you got? You didn't get any desire, I, I mean, any enjoyment or help or meaning out of having a garden and fruit trees. I mean, it must have tasted good at least. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't get anything out of any of that. Do you know what he's getting at by saying, and it sets the tone of the rest of the book. He is saying, when I elevated these things to be where I found my ultimate meaning in life and my satisfaction and enjoyment of life as the cornerstone of my satisfaction, I found that they couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. And whereas certain building products may be good for the building, they may be terrible for the cornerstone. And that's what he's letting us know here in this verse. Verse 17, it says this, chapter 2, verse 17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. Man, is Solomon didn't go in the other way. He's taken us on on an emotional whirlwind ride here. Where are we going with this series? There's a verse at the very end of this book that I want to highlight for you this week. And then I want to tell you, over the next five weeks, we want to talk about the journey in and of itself. And how does God intervene in this journey? And how does he offer something different? We want to focus on some very practical things in your life. I mean, your, your job, your family, your, your career, your finances, those type of things, and how we search for meaning. And we want to talk about some practical ways that God intervenes into our life and offers us great hope and solution in life. So here's the verse at the very end of Ecclesiastes. I want it to be the overarching verse uh, for you that you remember. It's in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, that's the whole story. That's my story here at the end. Now here's my final conclusion. Fear God or be in awe of God. Sometimes we think fear is just like being, you know, scared and spooked out like, you know, Halloween haunted houses. Not what fear in the Bible means. Be in reverent awe of God and obey, follow, trust in, is the word, his commands, his ways, what he has asked of us. He says in that, you're going to find meaning, satisfaction, significance. And you're going to find in this series, that's the cornerstone that flows into all these other areas that helps keep us on track. So I want to encourage you this morning as we walk through it to, to first for yourself, there's a self-evaluation to walk through this and just ask yourself, God, where am I seeking for satisfaction and meaning in my life? What do you have to speak to me? Intervene into my life. Can I just tell you, I, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, the hope and glory of our life is a life lived through Jesus Christ. And Jesus has much to say on all of this subject that we'll be walking through over the next five weeks. Secondly, I want to encourage you in this. I want to encourage you, church, Wendover Hills, to be as an inviting of a church as as we possibly could be in the next five weeks. Because this is a topic that is central to every person's life. 
If you can think of that person at work or in your family or that you play ball with or whatever right now, I can guarantee you the next five weeks works into their life and could be a significant impact to them saying yes to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And your role could be as simple as just an invitation to church over the next five weeks. So I encourage you in that. Somebody each week invite to be here with you. So let me set the tone and pray for you on this, and then I, I've got some news to, to share with you. So let's bow and we'll pray. Father, thank you for the overview. Thank you for the kickstart in knowing that Solomon took a great journey walking through these things and couldn't find meaning. And so our question, Lord, is how then do you really bring meaning to our life? Because even as believers, we get stumbled and caught up into these things. Lord, as believers, we get so caught up into where we're going to live, what neighborhood and what house and what school are we going to get our kids into and um, what are we going to drive and, and what, uh, what are those numbers in our income and how do I get those numbers up? And, and it can just absolutely dominate and drive our life. And so, Lord, we can sometimes, in the frustration of it, we can find that there's, some, there's a void in it. And so, Lord, on the next five weeks, I want to pray right now, Lord. Can I just send your Holy Spirit as, as the leader and the, uh, just the, the dominant force over the next five weeks to impact our lives, to transform us, Lord, in your name. Uh, for anyone in here, Lord, that, that has struggled in that transformation, that struggled in, in just trying to let you be the Lord of their life, Father, I pray that these five weeks, that your Holy Spirit would have in, just complete reign in their life. And that the word of God through the book of Ecclesiastes and from Solomon would make such an impact that we would throw it into action and we would see what we talked about in the, in the discipleship that letting Christ transform us, we would see it happening. So Father, would you do that? Would you open up the door for every person you've put in our life to invite, to be here with us, to hear this message, to fellowship with this body of believers that they too might know you as their Savior and incorporate you into their life and to find that meaning and hope and satisfaction in you, their Lord and Savior. We pray that in your son's name. Amen. Amen.